I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This begins a three-part narrative with Holly. It's a story about a woman trying to love a man who makes it a struggle the entire time. She was committed to him through whatever they faced, and it could have cost her life. You will find Holly is a good and strong person who tries to manage her out-of-control husband. The When Dating Hurts podcast presents my interview with Holly. Today on the When Dating Hurts podcast, we have Holly... And Holly so graciously stepped up with her emails to me back and forth. She wanted to tell her story after hearing other people's stories, which I appreciate this so much. So Holly, welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. It would be helpful if you were to tell us a little bit about what was going on in your life or with your family before Phil came along. So I'll just hand off to you and maybe just kind of get us going here. I, I had grown up in the military, so we had moved around a lot. And my parents obviously both worked, so they weren't home um, a lot. And therefore, I was left alone with my brother quite a bit. My brother had some behavioral issues um, that weren't really addressed so he had impulse control issues. He was verbally and physically violent. And I bring that up because I do think it is relative to what went on later in my life when I did meet Phil um, and why maybe in the beginning I thought that some of the behavior was fixable or okay. I, um, my parents were very caring, very loving. And they always wanted to help everyone. And of course, they wanted to help my brother. There was a lot of importance behind the idea of being loyal to family, being loyal to the ones that you love, no matter what. Loyalty uh, was very important in my family. I suppose I did pride myself on that. And when I was 18, I decided to join the military because everyone in my family joins the military, usually for college money, the GI fund. And so I went off into the military. I did my time. I knew I was not going to be a lifer like my, you know, my mother and, and other people in my family. So both of your parents were in the military? Yes. They were both Army. My mother stayed in and, and did retire with the military, but... My father did his stint and then he got out and he became an art teacher. My mother has passed. She passed two years ago. But uh, sorry to so hear that. I, yes, I, I still sometimes will talk about her as if she's still here, but because it's just so new, right? Um, my mom and, and my dad, they, are, they were both just very easygoing. They loved traveling. And the military, you know, allowed them to have that lifestyle. But my dad was very into art. And so was my mom. And my mom uh -huh. loved literature and, and all of these things. So they weren't your typical military parents. Yes, I can see. Yes, that's great. Right. So I had had this experience of, you know, traveling around the world. We were always going, you know, moving overseas, things along, you know, to exotic places. And they really loved different cultures. So I had a lot of really wonderful memories in, in that way. And also watching their relationship. There was obviously complications there. I think there isn't every marriage, but they truly loved each other. I never questioned that. My, I never saw them be physically violent or verbally abusive with one another. It was honestly the only exposure that I had to someone who was... Um, it's hard to put into words, unstable would be my brother. And my parents were always trying to pick up the pieces of kind of the mess that he had made. And a lot of attention went to my brother. 
and I kind of looking back on it now, I, I suppose I was maybe the forgotten kid. I know that that was not something that was done on purpose. They were just so busy with work. And then on top of that, trying to help my brother mm-hmm. and they really did pull out all the stops as far as he was concerned. You know, it's not like they just allowed him to, you know, make a lot of bad decisions and not have any consequences. I mean, you name it, they, they did it to try to help him navigate. What can you tell us about some of the things that your brother was up to? I mean, you've kind of given us a big category. Right. Well, from a very early age, he was, I, I was four, he was six years older than me. So I can remember, you know, some of my very first memories are of my brother, him doing what I thought was reckless or dangerous behavior, lighting things on fire, getting into fights. He was always restraining me, locking me in closets, you know, kind of just terrorizing me. There was this idea, you know, kind of when I was little, I remember, oh, you're his little sister. So he's just going to be mean to you. But it did get to a point, you know, around eight or nine years old, when I was around eight or nine years old, that I started to question that, okay, it's a lot more than him just, you know, picking on his little sister. He seemed to enjoy it. Mm. We were alone a lot. And it got to the point that my parents were asking me to report to them about my brother who was six years older than me. And because we were latchkey kids and, you know, we were getting raised in the 80s and the 90s when it was just like, well, here's your key to the house. Call us if anything goes wrong. So I would just, you know, call my mom at work or something and say, oh, you know, Matt, one time he took a a glass cutter. My dad was making stained glass. He took my dad's glass cutter. We were in a large loft. It was all glass. It was a beautiful loft in, in, in Europe. And he took the glass cutter and just started cutting all of the windows and the TV. And, and here I am, you know, I think I was six and telling him, you know, please don't do this. Why are you doing this, Matt? You know, trying to talk him out of the behavior that just continued everywhere we went. He was, he was one time he got together with a friend who's only 14. And I think this is also what's alarming is this is somebody who's so young, who's acting this way, Mm -hmm. but he was 14. He had a friend whose dad had some money in a safe. They got into the safe. It was several thousand dollars. Again, we were in Europe. His friend was European. They took a train from Germany to France (laughs) Um, because you could, you could, as a, you know, preteen, just get on a train back then. They did go to, they did go to Paris. And of course my parents were terrified. They had no idea where he had gone. You know, he had ran away with him. They were three days later, you know, the French police did locate them and they were brought back to, to Germany. Um, but I, you know, I remember my parents just pacing my mom in tears or eyes all puffy and red. And those are just two examples of many. And that was just endless. So there was counseling for him. There was, I remember them hiring mentors to stay with him after hours when he would come home from school, you know, even though he was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, because they could not trust him to be alone and make the right decisions. And because he believed I was favored in oh, the sense oh. in the sense that I was the good kid. Yes, yes, you'd never did anything wrong. So he right. was gonna he's gonna rock your boat for you. Right. So therefore, you know, uh-huh. I, I received uh-huh. all the verbal and physical abuse when he was frustrated. So that's really what was going on there. He did go into the army though. <laughs> And he did do well in the army. Um, maybe he just needed really strict discipline. But, but I, I went into the, the Navy and I, I just knew that I was only going to do my time to get my money for my degree and get out. When I did get out, I think I was, it was kind of a dangerous time for me in the sense that I was 21 years old. I had gone in at 18 and I thought I knew everything. I um, was overly confident, I suppose. I didn't realize that I didn't know everything, and I was actually quite naive. 
but at the time I was, I had a really, I was really struggling with my self-esteem because I had been in a relationship in the military and I found out that the person that I had been in the relationship with the, the entire time I was in, that he had a high school sweetheart back home where he was from and they were engaged to be married. And I did not find that out until three years into the relationship. And so of course I felt like a huge idiot. I was embarrassed. I, I was in love with him. He was my first everything, you know, my first love everything. I hadn't mm. really had anything serious in high school. So I was um I was mortified and I was really depressed. And I guess so. Yeah. I didn't know where to go. I had planned on going to college there where he was at, but when I found that out, he had made it clear to me when I did confront him on it that that he was actually in love with his high school sweetheart and he was going to continue our relationship with her and marry her. Obviously, you know, this is <laughs> there was no fixing that situation. So I, I bought a ticket to the only place that I knew to go which was where my parents had been stationed last. And it was in the Midwest. And uh, I was stationed out in California. So it was, um, it was quite a, it was culture shock, uh. especially at that age point, you know, 21. So I, I get there to the Midwest and I'm, you know, I'm depressed. I, I got a job waitressing. I got enrolled in college. You know, my mom, I was very close with my mom. So she knew everything that had happened. She was very, very good about keeping me busy. You know, let's get you enrolled in college, get you, a, you know, a waitress job to help, help you out while you're going to college, this kind of thing. I met a girlfriend there. She was very outgoing, very sweet. And a couple of months into me being there, you know, she said, all you do is go to school, work, go, go home. You know, you need to start going out. She was obviously, she had good intentions. She was worried, you know, about my depression. Mm -hmm, sure. And so I decided to go out with her that night. And of course, I, I look back on this now and, I, and it's so funny because I actually remember, you know, really kind of trying not to go out that night. That was not something I wanted to do. I said no to her several times. And I always think, man, if I just would have stuck to my guns on that, because I go out that night and then that's when I met Phil. Oh, uh, okay. Enter Phil. Yeah. And uh, so, as I said, my self-esteem was pretty low. I felt, I felt really jilted, obviously, by the prior relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe I was kind of wearing that. When I talk about me being naive, I think there was a lot of things I was clueless about in the sense that how you carry yourself, how you present yourself. Um, you know, certain people, they may pick up on the fact that you're depressed or see you possibly as an easy target to manipulate. That was not on my radar at 21. Yes. At all. Even though I had had that bad breakup, I still wanted to believe, and even though I had grown up with my brother, I still wanted to believe that people were genuinely good and they would want good things for each other and they wouldn't want to destroy your life or hurt you. Yes. When I went there that night, it was a college bar, it was packed and I did not dress up. You know, I was just, it was winter time. So I, I definitely, you know, wore a lot of layers. I didn't put makeup on, you know, I, I just thought I will go out. I'll play a couple of games of pool with her. This was the agreement, you know, and, and then have a drink with her and go home. I also had an interview and it was out of state. They were flying me out of state. It was to be a flight attendant and they were going to fly me to their hub. So it was like the final interview. I basically had the position and I thought that would be really good while it was going to be a, a part-time thing while I finished my degree. Cause I, I love to travel, especially when I was young. So that was another reason why I wanted to leave early. I got there and right away Phil approached. I did not make eye contact with him. I didn't really look at him. I tried my best to I, I didn't want to give him any idea or signal that I was interested. He had a friend with him. I do remember looking at him because my girlfriend was talking to him and he, you know, he's a good looking guy and she was laughing and I didn't want to be the Debbie Downer and say, Hey, I, I want to go because I could tell that Phil and his friend were definitely interested in, you know, engaging us and, you know, having drinks with us and things like that. And I thought, oh, this was a bad idea <laughs> um, because Phil was persistent. 
I actually, because I, I was kind of looking down, I wasn't looking over at him. I did make a couple of comments that were a bit rude because I was trying to get him to back off. I missed a shot when we were playing pool and he uh, made a comment to me, why don't you drink another? And this is kind of embarrassing to say out loud, but I mean, I had just gotten out of the military. So I was back then, if I could be assertive, especially, especially in that frame of mind that I was in at that time. I just, I felt annoyed. And so I said, uh, why don't you drink another asshole? <laughs> and I said it in a, you know, a, a sarcastic, but annoyed way. And of course, I think, you know, my immaturity at 21, I mean, I would never say something like that now, but I really thought that that completely put him off. You know, I, I thought, I thought, you know, any normal person would have picked up on that and thought, okay, this, she's definitely not interested, you know. She's and, not giving me the buyer signal, huh? No. And so I thought by being blunt, maybe he would get it. I, I gave, I gave up at that point because he's, he he actually seemed more interested after making after being rude with him which again threw me off and i went and i sat beside the pool table because i wanted to give my girlfriend some time to talk to his friend before i said i'm ready to go <laughs> mm -hmm. and so i go and i sat by the pool table and he comes and he sits right next to me but he sat really close again i'm annoyed because Everybody has personal space. I turned and I looked at him and the purpose of it was to give him a stern walk to back off basically. But when I looked at him, he, that's when I really took in the fact that he was actually very attractive. I was taken up. I, I guess I was a little stunned by that, that he was very good looking. And he was very well put together. He had a great smile and he had these really big almond eyes with, you know, long, thick eyelashes, like all of these things where you're like, wow, you know, this person is really good looking. And I felt a little foolish because I guess I went, I kind of did feel a little stunned and I almost felt like he, he knew that, or he saw that on my face. And so I started to giggle because I do have a nervous laugh. And when he heard the nervous laugh, he got a huge smile on his face. I look back at all of this now and I feel like the whole thing was predatory mm, because mm. I think he saw, at the time I felt like I was so special and unique that he had zeroed in on me in this club full of all of these college students, yes. all of these good looking people and I'm the one he wants to talk to and look at. And he was looking at me in such an intimate way yes. that I never had anybody do that. But when I looked back on it later, I don't think it was romantic or intimate. I think he zeroed in on me because I was dressed down, because I was keeping my eyes down. I wasn't making eye contact. And I, I was being, you know, grumpy and put off. I think I might as well have just had a sign on my forehead that said, hey, I'm really depressed. And I think people like him, that's because I, I, I saw him do this with other people. And of course he did it with myself. He liked people who were damaged, people that he thought were damaged in some way because they were easier to use and manipulate. Yes. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something that, that I realized after the fact. I think it was about, and this is so, so sad to reflect on, but I think it was about three, four years in when I looked back and went, okay, that was you know, that was, mm -hmm. that was something else entirely because that, that's when I really had gotten a good idea of what type of person he was and what type of people he sought out. He, he did ask for my number that night. I did give it to him and I did tell him I would be out of town. And then again, you know, this is another red flag. Didn't think of it like that at the time, but he, he called, even though I told him I was going to be out of town for that interview. When I asked him why he called so soon, he said, you know, cause I said, don't, you know, I'll, I'll be gone for about three days. He turned it around and, and, and said, well, you know, I wanted to make sure you gave me the right phone number. I wanted to make sure you weren't lying about going out of town, you know, for this job interview. Mm -hmm. I thought he was being cute at the time, but 
it's again, one of those things that you look back on, you're like, why would someone (laughs) think you're lying? And all of these things, you know, why would their mind even go there? This is somebody who I literally just met. When I did get back, it was complete love bombing. And again, back then I had no idea what love bombing was. I'd never even heard of the term. He wined and dined me. We spent all of our free time together. He was very attentive, talkative, outgoing, you know, as I said, great smile. He was very intimate. He made it really easy for me to talk to him. And when I was talking to him, it felt like he was actually listening and he would ask questions and he would want to know more. And I, you know, next thing I know, I'm like telling him all of everything about me. And again, I had never had an experience like that with a man before. So I was just, I was just so caught up in it. He was, you know, always giving me massages. He was a really good cook. He was from the East coast. And that to me at that age, I think it was a little exotic. I suppose he had this kind of really thick East coast accent and he was um, very masculine and he always acted everywhere we went, like he was in charge, you know, like he just kind of took over the room. I thought he was very charismatic. I was really, really just, I mean, I even remember thinking in that first week that, oh no, I think I'm in love with this guy. And I remember that really, you know, kind of surprised. I feel, I felt really surprised by that because it just all was happening so quickly. He seemed like he was feeling that same way. He was giving me all of that attention and everything that you would think someone was giving you if they were feeling really intensely about you. And he was even saying that, you know, he was telling me I was so intelligent and I was the most beautiful woman he had ever dated all these really flattering things the prior relationship that I had been in he was he was a kind of an emotional iceberg he wasn't a very sensitive guy he never really talked about feelings or he you know there was never any deep conversations there wasn't a whole lot of compliments so I confused all of this for for real you know love It's like everything you've ever wanted. It's just served up constantly and coming fast. Yeah. Which is, which is love bombing. Love bombing. Absolutely. Classic love bombing. Exactly. And again, having no clue what that was and never even coming across anything like that. I just thought, wow, I'm, I am so lucky. Look what happened to me. Your self-esteem was just rocketing. (laughs) wasn't it? Exactly. Going through the roof. You know, I was just, I was so excited. Sure you were. It was a couple of months before I love you's were exchanged. He was the first one to say it. I, you know, I was like, so, I mean, I was just on cloud nine that he had said that to me. And of course I said it back and everything was so romantic and wonderful. And this is when he started telling me more personal things about his upbringing and his life that he had problems with the law. He was five years older than me. Mm-hmm. So he had gone to jail a couple of times, which I was really, you know, um, again, I think, and I hate admitting this, but it kind of goes back to that whole exotic thing. I had never really encountered anyone who had gone to jail or anything like that. And so I was very curious as to what he had done and how that had happened. But at the time he told me it was, he, he said he was raised by a single mom. He had an absentee father that he was pretty much raised on the streets. His mom had a drinking problem, so she wasn't home. So there, of course, that I'm very empathetic. I'm a, definitely an empath. So I, I just, when he was telling me all of these stories, I felt so bad for him. And of course, when he would explain these stories to me, he was the victim and everything. I didn't understand, you know, that that, that that should be a red flag. He also had a lot of ex-girlfriends. And of course they were all, they were all crazy. Um, He had even been stabbed by one of his exes. He had a scar in his hand. And I remember, you know, asking what happened? And he told me the story. And I look, of course, the way he told the story was obviously he was the victim, self-defense, this whole thing. I look back on that now and I'm like, I, I really do wonder if that was self-defense or, well, I mean, it might've been self-defense on her part. Yes. Yes. To get him away or off. Yeah. 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 
Exactly. So all of, you know, all of those, those red flags didn't know they were at the time. Yes. Everything just moved really fast from there. Next thing I know, oh, he had, um, once we had said, I love you and stuff got more serious, he had started doing, it's almost like all that love bombing. He started pulling back on it. So it was like, he would kind of bum rush me with, with all of these great things and great feelings. And then all of a sudden he would just pull back and give me nothing. And he would just get really quiet. I noticed it started to correspond with when he wanted to go out with his friends. I didn't understand that at the time, but obviously I look back on it now. It all makes sense. So he would, he would pull back and do and become distant with me when he wanted to go out with these friends. And I didn't know it, but they were going to strip clubs. I think this was his way of being able to go out, do whatever he wanted because he had distanced himself from me. He Uh had been, he had maybe said something rude or passive aggressive. And then I'm left at home going, Oh, well, you know, what did I do wrong? And then he could go out and just do whatever he liked. We weren't living together yet. He had, uh, he was living with a roommate and he lived on the bottom floor. He asked me one morning, he had caused an argument over something that was really off the wall and weird. And this was another thing I learned with him. Things did not need to be factual or true. He would just create something and he would look you dead in the eyes. He would talk to you about whatever this situation was and act like it was completely true. Mm-hmm. And it would just leave you so confused, especially if you've never come across somebody who does something like this and you're young too, on top of it, you don't know how to respond to someone when they're, when they're acting in that manner and you're in love with them. Mm-hmm. So he caused one of these fights, he leaves. It wasn't a fight. It was basically him just saying to me something, uh, uh, passive aggressive comments, accusing me of potentially cheating on him, which was not true. Mm-hmm. He leaves. He calls me later and he says, could you come and get me in the morning? Take, We'll go to breakfast. We'll talk about things before I go to work. I felt really good about this because I thought, okay, he's going to apologize because he's acting irrational and immature. I go to pick him up in the morning. He had told me that he sleeps really heavy. So just go on in and get him and wake him up. I go down there. It's really dark. He has blackout blinds. I can't see. So my eyes are adjusting. I get down to where he is and laying in his bed. And of course you see someone you love. You want to crawl in next to them, wake them up. As I start to do this, I, I feel someone with my other arm. It is a woman who's laying next to him and she's nude because my eyes are starting to adjust and he's there obviously. And he's nude as well. I mean, I just assumed because the top halves of them were nude and they had the covers on the bottom half. It felt like eternity, but it was literally just a couple of seconds. The minute I I really could understand what I was seeing, I was so shocked. I just, uh, I ran out of there. He was awake, of course. And then, uh, so as I get my car, he's running after me. He's in his boxer shorts running across the lawn And he jumped into my passenger door. He was trying to talk me into staying and talking to him, which again made no sense because there was a woman in his bed. I left, but it was really hard to get him out of my car. It was just all so illogical. And And I remember saying to him, this is so over the top. This is so, I was like, I don't even know how to even discuss this with you. What is there to discuss? I just found you in bed with another woman You've told me you love me. I'm like, none of this makes any sense. And he mentioned my ex and he said, well, you know, he had cheated on you. I remember going, yeah, but you know, I I didn't walk in on him in bed with a woman. I mean, it was like he was trying to downplay it. Like, oh, well, you know, this has happened to you before. It's not that big of a deal. And of course I was like, no, this is not okay. This is not normal. And so I left. I was very successful for a couple of months of keeping him at bay, but he did engage in stalking behavior. I I mean, I was totally clueless. (laughs) You know, he was doing things that obviously I should have 
been a lot more wise to back then, but I, I wasn't, you know, he was showing up at my house where I had moved into a, a place with my girlfriend that I was waitressing with. Oh, he had talked me out of taking that flight attendant job because he said I would be gone too much. So I, I didn't take that job. And he, he was putting love letters, you know, in the screen door. He was putting them under my windshield wiper. He was calling and leaving messages. It was just incessant. He, he just did not stop. A couple of months in, I had agreed that he could come over. We would have dinner at my house and we could talk. Again, another thing that I look back on, I'm like, why, you know, I, if I just stayed the course, you know, why did I, I let him back in, but I will admit like back then my, I had gone back into this really bad depression. My self-esteem was crushed again. And I just felt like there was something really wrong with me. I didn't understand why I couldn't be loved, why I was getting cheated on. I wanted to be some. I wanted to be important to someone. I wanted to be someone's number one. And I didn't understand why I was getting in these relationships with people who could cast me aside for someone else so easily. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agreed to him coming over. My girlfriend wasn't there. Of course, my girlfriend hated him. If only I would have listened. Someone who was going to make your life miserable. That's it. Yeah, Exactly. She was gone that night. So that was kind of my way of like, okay, yeah, you can come over and we'll have dinner. So I bring him over. We were intimate. You know, there was talking, obviously, and then we were intimate. He got really quiet again and, and quite quite distant. I asked him what was wrong. And he said to me, I think if you hadn't have cheated on me or been with somebody during this time that we were broke up, you would have put up more of a fight. You wouldn't have had sex with me. So now I'm feeling even worse because I had made myself quite vulnerable having him over, even more vulnerable to be intimate with him again because I was in love with him. I did want to be important to him. Mm-hmm. And now he's saying to me, well, I could tell that you liked being intimate with me. And that means that you did in fact cheat on me or at some point and that's why this isn't that big of a deal to you of course as this relationship went on it it is baffling to me sometimes I say it was like I joined a cult because the mind games the gaslighting you know as that continued as that progressed I was so lost in this cult of one that he could have said to me, you know, the sky is, you know, turquoise or yellow. <laughs> and I would have went, yeah, it is. I mean, I was just so brainwashed at, at a certain point. Yeah. And this was the beginning of that. And and I almost feel like there was like little tests, like little, like how far can I, can I push this with her? You know, how much will she put up with? How much is she going to go? Hey, that's okay. Yes. Yeah, I'll forgive you for that. And because I am very empathetic, I I was naturally very forgiving. And I had grown up in this environment of when you're in love, you're in love. And you put, you know, all your loyalty and faith into this relationship. And so he got quiet again and he left. Hmm. And ironically, it, it was several months before him and I talked again. What had happened, and of course I found this out later, is he had left with that woman that was in his bed and moved away to California. He had terrorized her, traumatized her. Then when he was bored, he called me on my 22nd birthday, which I think was very calculated because it was late at night. It was after midnight. I had obviously been out with my friends. I had been drinking, you know, clearly it had been months since I had talked to him. I think he knew I'd be vulnerable at that point. I was home alone. You know, he calls me, it's an unknown number. I answer it. He doesn't tell me that that's where he is. He, he doesn't say, you know, I've left with the woman that you found me in bed with. Of course, he doesn't tell me any of this. He mm-hmm. just says, you know, yeah, that, he, you know, that he had gone away and to work and he was thinking about things. And, and then this is where he starts telling me, you know, I know you really value what your parents have and you and I can have this. And I do understand now that I really messed up. You're the one. And I guess I just really got scared. If you let me come back, we can do this. It'll be everything that you ever hoped it would be. Just give me the second chance. 
But he did say, if I do come back, don't, we cannot talk about what I've done. You know, you, you walking in on me with another woman, he was like, that would just taint the the new relationship. And I said, okay. Uh, You signed the contract on that one. Yeah. And so, yeah, he comes back. He, he moves in with me. My, my roommate had moved out with someone that she had gotten serious with. And so the, you know, the timing all just kind of aligned. A lot of my friends did not like him because clearly they were picking up on a lot of things that I was just blinded to. Uh You know, I think people like him know that they don't want people around that are close to you or could have some more insight or an outside perspective. It's pure isolation is what that's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. It's isolation. Yeah. So once he moved in with me, you know, there were all these reasons why he didn't like this person or that person. So I was spending less and less time with any, with any of my friends uh, to the point that I had no friends anymore. It was just him. He introduced me to his friends and his friends I was allowed to hang out with, but only with him. I couldn't hang out with anybody like alone. Because this was also where he started making a lot of passive aggressive comments about me spending any time alone. You know, like I wasn't allowed to go out with girlfriends or anything. I wasn't allowed to, or or he also started making comments about what I was wearing to work. At the time I was doing bartending at a college bar on the weekends for extra money. And he would come there and he would sit at the bar. At first I thought, oh, wow, you know, he wants to spend so much time with me that he's sitting here at my work and <laughs> for six hours. But then, even then, I started to question it because he would get a, he would get, he didn't look happy. He looked annoyed a lot when I would mm-hmm. look over at him. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot, uh, most of the time it was when I was obviously talking to men, serving men, laughing at somebody's joke, anything like that. And then it became comments to me about, you're flirting with them. And of course I was like, well, I've got to make a living and I have to be polite and laugh and smile and all of these things. So that's when he said to me, I would prefer that you work in an office during college because you'll be around more women. And I don't want you working around all these men talking about all this out loud. It's just, (laughs) if I don't laugh at this stuff, I would go crazy. I mean, I have to, it, there's gotta be some dark humor there. He was starting to kind of plant all of these seeds, the seeds of doubt, the the idea that I couldn't have guy friends, the idea that I couldn't know anybody, you know, keep or stay friends with anybody that I, I knew prior to him. I definitely couldn't talk to an old boyfriend or anything along those lines. And there were comments, of course, made, you know, even when I got an office position, you're wearing that to work. You know, he didn't want me wearing dresses or skirts unless I was with him. Mm-hmm. Just so many red flags. It's ridiculous. But, you know, this was all over a year of that slow, you know, just nitpicking, making these comments. And I wanted him to be happy and I wanted him to feel secure in our relationship. And of course, I didn't want to experience anything close to what had happened. Found him in in bed with another woman because I don't feel the love that I felt back then. But back then, I mean, I was madly in love with this guy and of course that really clouds your judgment you know that love is literally a drag and and back then I was just so so in love with him big time big time blinders uh we did get married and I oh my god you got married I didn't see that coming yeah and I um I had a lot of well what they would call cold feet because I at this point I was questioning a good deal about his personality and some of the, you know, how, how strict he was with me, that he was allowed to go and do whatever he wanted to do. And I wasn't to question any of these things, but he was being really strict with me. I, my mom was a feminist. So, so of course I was starting to question how controlling he was with me. And I did start to talk back a bit to him, you know, when he would make comments about you wore that shirt today to work, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I did. You know, this, this is ridiculous. You can't tell me what kind of shirt I can wear to work. And so there was a little bit of give and take, or at least I got the illusion that there was. 
he started to become physical. It was, uh, it was little things at first, you know, when he, like that comment I just made, you know, if I would kind of talk back, I suppose, you know, he'd grab me by the shoulders or shake me a bit, or he'd maybe, if I wanted to leave the room because I didn't like his tone or what he, you know, the way the conversation was going, he would like push me up against a wall kind of thing. But then that turned into um, this one particular incident, which was the very first time that I, I, I really, I mean, I guess it's that turning point moment where, where everything just went horribly downhill from there. Mm -hmm. I, uh, we had had a barbecue. There were uh, people over. Everything had gone fine, but there was a guy there that I had bartender was a bartender with at, at some point. He, mm -hmm. I think, was threatened by this guy. He was a good-looking guy. He was nice. He was polite, and I did notice this with my ex as our relationship progressed. He definitely, definitely did not want me around any man who he felt even remotely threatened by so if, if somebody had their their life together if they were accomplished in any way or good looking if there was anything that threatened him he did not want me anywhere near someone like that um this guy he only lived three houses down from us so he just came over and we were all talking having a good time i didn't think anything of it he left I was cleaning up uh we had gone out onto the porch and we were just talking and he had gotten really quiet. Obviously, I had picked up on him getting quiet was not a good thing. And I asked him what was wrong. And he just turned on me. And he had me up against the, beside the door, the front door. And he had me by my throat. And even though I had grown up with my brother who had, you know, pushed me around, stuff like that, or locked me in a closet, things like that, I had not I had never had a grown man, you know, grab me by my throat. So just pure shock. I didn't, I mean, I just, I just froze. I didn't know what to do. Sure you did. And he was uh, yelling at me and saying that I was wearing this guy's shirt. So to give you an idea of this, I was 105 pounds. I'm 5'3", very petite. This guy, you know, he's like six foot, 200 pounds. I mean... None logically, it just made no sense at all. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously. But he's thinking that you were wearing a shirt that belonged to this he, other guy. Yeah, and what it was was him and I were both in the military. This bartender and I. So I think that was another thing that he was threatened by. And the shirt was a physical fitness shirt that we uh, would wear when we exercised in the military. He had seen this guy in his, and I was wearing mine that night. But again. Okay. I'm an extra small female, petite size t-shirt. I mean, it's just not logical. I, and I, and it, you know, I'm thinking this, I'm trying to get those words out, but I can tell that there's nobody home. I mean, this person that's looking at me, his eyes were just really dark. He was, he was so mad and I could feel the spit hitting my face and he has me by my throat. I mean, the whole thing was just, um, it was just really just shocking. I just, my girlfriend was there with her boyfriend that she had moved, uh, moved out with. And, but she was there at that time. They came out because they heard this commotion. And when he, and, and it was her boyfriend and her who pulled him off of me. Oh. He, he, he did not go easy. And what was really odd about it was that he didn't talk. And, you know, once they came out, once they jumped on him and was, and were pulling him off of me, he wasn't speaking. He was, he was just, it was like a shell of a person, just no one there. And, uh, wow. and he left, but this was another thing where my girlfriend was another reason why she was like, Oh my God, this guy is so dangerous you have got to get away from him. And this also led to me not talking to her anymore. Oh, um, that's right. I imagine so. Yeah. Because obviously, do you think you didn't want to talk with her or did he didn't oh, allow he did it? Not want me anywhere near her because she, of course she was right. She was my closest friend at the time. We were best friends at that point, but he did obviously come between us and it's, it's all very shameful that I, that I chose him over her and I took his lies. I mean, 
obviously he waited a couple of days and, and, but you know, he came back around and he was all so sorry. And, and then he said to me that he had never done that, that he'd never been physical with anyone ever. And he said that, that he was just so, so in love with me that he was, that he had had, that he could not control his jealousy. But if I just had patience with him and helped him, he could work through this. That's how he turned it. Obviously, later on, I found out that he was physical with everyone, everyone. That woman that he had gone to California with, she wrote me a letter. And uh, it was like a three-page letter detailing what he had done to her out there. When I confronted him with that, he just lied. You know, he said that she was crazy, that she, you know, couldn't get over him and was mad that he had taken off. And I guess I just wanted to believe him. You know, the stories about his exes, like the one who stabbed him with a knife, you know, these kinds of things. It was all excuses, excuses. Yes. I also ended up finding out, this was three years in, that he was actually, he had been sent to prison for five years. Five years. When he was, yeah, when he was 18. So when I met him, he had not been out of prison very long. The reason I found I mean, Did he out, do five years? He did. It was in New Jersey. Okay. The whole reason I found this out was because he had told me, yeah, I got arrested a couple of times, this kind of stuff. But the reason I found out more details was because he, he had gone and done something in a park. And I still don't know what he was doing in that park. But now that I look back on things and his behavior, I think something illegal with his friends because someone had reported him and he were at our apartment and there's a knock on the door and it's the FBI. Oh, and of course that's very, uh, I mean, that just throws you. That's just not something that happens in real life. And, and they had a mugshot of him and he looked very young in it and very intense. Oh. And I just was, I mean, I looked over at him, I go, what is happening? And they asked, to, you know, they want, they wanted to speak to him and all that. And, and they were asking him about what he was doing in the park. And still to this day, I don't know what him and his friends were doing in that park. And I still don't really know why the FBI needed to interview him. He, he played it off because this was after 9-11 and he was Italian and Irish and he had a, a very, um, he had a, you know, a natural tan. And he told me that there was a water plant in the park and that some security guard had reported him saying that he looked like a terrorist who was taking pictures of the water plant. And that's why the FBI was talking to him. I really don't know if that's true at all. It is uh, very creative though. Yeah, he was always very creative. Yeah, always very creative. The physical abuse, that just continued. The first three years were, were probably the most intense of the marriage as far as that goes. Well, besides that kind of get you by the neck strangulation, what other types of things did he do to you? There was a lot of uh, kind of just putting the fear in you in the sense of like, I'm taking a shower one time and he had gone out, he, he had come, he had he had not come home until the wee hours of the morning. I don't know when he got in. I had to go to work. I mean, it was, a, it was a work day. So I get up, I see him on the couch, you know, I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, I knew that he had probably drank too much or, or whatever, but I had to go to work. So I, I just put it in the back of my mind. I was annoyed, but I didn't say anything. Cause at this point I had started being very careful about what I was saying to him or questioning. Cause I had started to become fearful of him and how he would, behave or or perceive it. his reactions and yeah and so i just went and started taking a shower the shower was a glass around shower and my eyes are closed i'm washing my hair the glass just shatters around me and of course i screamed i remember thinking it was a bomb or something you know something had exploded i turned and and it was him and it's the same kind of scenario of like if you're in a car crash or something i mean you're just you have that moment where your mind's trying to process what is happening here. Yes. Am I okay? <laughs> you know, what is, what is going on? Right. And I turn and I look and it's him. 
and his, his fists are bloody and he had just punched straight through that glass around. And I had no idea why. I had no idea why. He ends up explaining to me that he thought that because of my reaction where I just went in and took a shower, that I didn't wake him up, that I wasn't upset with him, that I didn't kind of, I guess, have a scene with him, that while he was gone for the night doing his own thing, I had gone out on my own and cheated on him. And as I'm sure you're picking up, this is a regular it, this this is starting to become a regular scenario. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of me cheating on him, yes, because I I you know he had picked up on how loyal I was. He always was playing to that. You know, your loyalty, your loyalty, loyalty was everything. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wasn't you know at all loyal to me, but I thought he was. No, he just wanted to make sure you were. This concludes part one. Be looking for parts two and three of Holly's story. I promise you they will take your breath away. You will see how hard it is to live with an abuser. The interest we are seeing far exceeds all expectations we had. As an example, just two years ago, this podcast had less than 2,000 downloads. Today, we are above 400,000 downloads. You can see why we're excited. The more who listen, the more who better understand domestic violence. We see now that When Dating Hurts has become the platform where dating and domestic abuse survivors can tell their entire stories from those early days when they thought it was love through the horrific nightmarish times of emotional manipulation, power and control tactics, and sometimes devastating physical violence. It sneaks up on people. That's how domestic violence traps people. I want to give extra emphatic thanks to the survivors who have come to us and told us in great detail their personal stories of abuse. These generous survivors have afforded us open access into the worst times they have ever endured. Their lives were made miserable by domineering abusers, people who were relentless in the calculated evil they perpetrated specifically to devise invisible prisons around those they told they loved. These stories, although challenging to listen to, are made bearable because we know that each of the survivors will eventually transition from a victim to a survivor. We see the sheer determination and immense courage it sometimes takes for a person to regain freedom. It's important to know that victims can always get help, victims can always get out, and victims can become survivors. Okay, just a quick reminder, The When Dating Hurts book is available on Amazon. It's in paperback and ebook and audiobook forms. If you're a survivor and you have a story we need to hear, please contact me at Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. Thank you for listening.